Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Any fans of uh, Lord of the Rings here? (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene, or should I say a passage, in the third volume of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn, the leader of the forces of good, is facing a desperate and seemingly losing battle against an evil enemy. His little party make a terrifying subterranean journey to a place haunted by the shades of dead soldiers, who having uh, deserted their king in days of old were condemned to a spectral existence underground. He offers them a chance to regain their honor and be restored to peace and then to a proper rest if they will help to defend, against, uh, defend good against evil, and they do so. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel evidently uh, had such a vision or dream, which Tolkien, a practicing Christian, uh, would have been familiar with, and we heard it beautifully read today. Uh, we find Ezekiel finding himself with God in Michmash, in a place of dry bones. And Ezekiel is told to um, to prophesy to the bones that they might hear the Lord and know that God will pull their bones back together, cover them with muscle and flesh, and give them breath. And this happens as God calls upon the four winds to breathe life into the bones, bringing us back to the creation stories in Genesis, where initially God's breath, the divine Ruach, breathes across the face of the the, the deep in the first creation story. And in a smaller way, God picks up the little mud Adam that he's made and blows life into him. Israel will live again, summoned back from deader than dead. Paul's letter to the Romans talks about the same spirit of God that gives life, He explains that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and is responsible for giving us life. There are things of the spirit that give life and things of the world that take life away. And hearing these stories during Lent gives us a chance to reflect and think and see if we live according to the spirit. Uh, And as we near the end of Lent, we might remember that the spirit Spirit is the spark of our life as, as, as Christians, as a community, as we prepare for Christ's resurrection, not only for his resurrection, but for our own. In the gospel, we're given a glimpse from John's perspective of Jesus' private life. He'd made friends with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and had enjoyed their hospitality. And now he's told that his friend Lazarus in Bethany is ill, But Jesus doesn't go there for two more days. He wouldn't have gotten there in time anyway since Lazarus had been dead for uh, for four days, we we find out. And uh, Jesus takes the opportunity um, to tell the disciples that he will go there, even to the place where they had tried to stone him very recently. He's the prophet in this story, and it's up to him to bring God's message of life. Because as he comes near, uh, Martha meets him and tells him he's too late. Lazarus is dead. Jesus, of course, already knew that. Uh, And he's greeted by a mixture of faith and reproach. If only you had been here. Jesus tells her that her brother Lazarus will live again. And uh, because he, Jesus, is the resurrection and the life. And those who believe, even if they die, will live. 
However, he's visibly disturbed, and we see him weeping at the graveside. Although smitten by grief, but then moved by compassion and trust, the trust that he has in, 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 in Abba, his uh, uh, God, um, Jesus unleashes the power that brings Lazarus uh, back to life. Now this linking of um, divine power with the earthly life of Jesus is a steady theme in John's Gospel. Um, he has Jesus as a living revelation of God's power. Many of the scenes in John's Gospel, which is kind of a traveling piece to go into the Gentile world, um, seem to be set pieces to, to demonstrate this. But to stay with the story, however, and not to overthink it, um, I think it suggests that at our own human level, we are probably all masters. We want to stop our friends and loved ones from suffering or dying. We may say to God, if you'd been here on time, you could have stopped this from happening. We want to give God the answers. After all, we're the ones on the scene, and uh, we know what we need, and God should listen to us and take our advice and give it to us. And then there would be no tragedy in our lives, no decline in our churches, no injustice in the nations. But of course, we have not been let in on the whole story or the bigger picture. Uh, we tend to live in the world of the flesh and its concerns rather than in the world of the spirit. And this is understandable, of course, because we are flesh in so many aspects of our being. Even as when we get to a certain age, we start to experience that flesh starting to fail. <laughs> and uh, I, I've got a terrible headache today, and I don't feel very well. And so, uh, and the arthritis is kicking in, you know. It, uh, in the bigger picture, it's not that God does not turn up on time. In fact, God's purposes are always at work. God does not choose evil or tragedy. And God's love works good even in moments of despair. So much of what goes wrong in the world is actually created by us human creatures, following the flesh in its various ways. And um, so we may want to blame someone else. And God is handy for that. But the divine love is actually asking us to become part of the solution rather than to continue being a part of our own problems. And when we can bring ourselves to do this, that's when miracles will start to occur. Despite the destruction of Israel, Ezekiel hands things over to God and is given a vision of a restored, a renewed and living Israel. From the depths, we can call on God with a psalmist. In learning to transcend the realm of flesh, we can discern a higher way of being, as St. Paul uh, called those he was writing to, to, to discover. And for all her grumbling, uh, Martha handed her grief over to Jesus, and Lazarus came forth from the tomb. In our collect today, we ask God to give us the gift of loving God's purposes and promises, that our wills may be fixed on the essential and eternal good which is always there, even when the world around us seems to be coming unglued. May we indeed ask for that. May our hearts indeed be fixed there. And maybe, maybe wait for the answer. And in fact become a part of the answer. So let me end with the 16th century prayer of St. Teresa of Avila, which we began the first Lenten 
um, program with. The poem uh, or, or poem or prayer is called Christ Has No Body. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth 